We'll hear argument next to number 93670, Albert Howlett versus Birkdale Shipping Company. You no, no, I'm not denying it. Absolutely not. Mr. Sobo. <laughs> Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. In Cindy's Steam Navigation Company versus De Los Santos, this court held that a ship owner's duty of care owed to longshoremen extended to unsafe conditions existing at the start of cargo operations, and that as to such conditions, the ship owner had a duty of inspection. The Cindy decision did not specifically address the issue of whether this duty applied to unsafe conditions existing in a cargo stove nor did it make any distinction based on who may have created a particular unsafe condition. Rather, the focus of the Cindy decision was on the ship owner's knowledge of an unsafe condition, with the principal issue in Cindia being the ship on the ship owner's duty of inspection. <clears throat> Thus, in Cindia, this court held <clears throat> that as to unsafe conditions existing at the start of cargo operations, the ship owner had a duty of inspection and was charged with knowledge of those conditions, which would have been discovered by a reasonable inspection but that once cargo operations began, the ship owner had no ongoing or continuing duty of inspection to discover unsafe conditions which might arise within the confines of those cargo operations. In Doe versus Kawasaki Kisin KK, the Third Circuit erroneously interpreted Cyndia as relieving a ship owner from any duty of inspection with respect to unsafe conditions in a cargo stow, no matter when or by whom that condition was created, and without regard to whether a particular unsafe condition may have existed at the start of cargo operations. Is a cargo stow an, an object or a function or, can, or, a, or a task or a place? I consider a condition of the vessel. I consider essentially it's, it's a fact. It a, a becomes part of the stow. Part of the stow becomes part of the ship because it is what the ship is being carried. So when we're talking about a cargo stow, we're talking about a certain place on the ship plus the functions that were necessary in order to put the cargo in that place? Plus the functions and the operations and how that cargo is held in place or stored in place in the ship. Uh, I'm not clear on what the, the reference is to functions, but longshoremen would place, take the cargo from the cargo hook move it into the stove and place it in the position, and presumably in some manner that cargo would be secured in place, and you'd end up with a cargo stove that would be presented to the discharging longshoreman. And that is, then becomes a factual, physical condition that exists at the time the unloading longshoremen go aboard the ship. Well, do you argue that uh, the ship owner has a duty to go into the cargo stow area after it has been loaded on board to see the condition of it and to try to determine if there are any hidden defects no. or problems? Is As that a your argument? No. As a general proposition, no, although factually there might be certain types of cargo stows where that might in fact be done. 
My argument is only that the shipowner should be held responsible for that which the shipowners already do in the manner in which they observe the way cargo is being stowed, the conditions that would be disclosed well, by such inspection. are you arguing that the shipowner only has a duty of care as to conditions that are open and obvious in the stow? To the extent that that phrase might be uh, tantamount to something that is discoverable by a reasonable inspection, I would believe the answer is yes. It's a question, is it something that can be seen and be determined by the crew of the ship conducting the normal type of inspection that they so would do? your theory is if it's an open and obvious problem in the cargo stow area, then the ship owner is liable if in the unloading process uh, someone is injured by virtue of that condition. If it was open and obvious, and they've become somewhat words of art, and I want to use them carefully if I may, if it was open and obvious sufficiently to be observed at the time of loading, even though it may subsequently in the course of loading be concealed, it is a condition that the ship owner should be responsible because it is the type of condition which would, he would have knowledge of well, if he made the observation. What if it's open and obvious before, during, and after the original loading? and it is open and obvious at the time of the unloading. If it's open and obvious at the time of the unloading, insofar as there might be any duty to warn of that condition, the fact that it is open and obvious constitutes the warning. However, the question would still remain as to whether, assuming we have an open and obvious condition that is unsafe, which is what you had in the Woods decision in, from the Fifth Circuit and in the Riggs decision from the Ninth Circuit, there, the, the, the condition of that stove may still be such that it cannot be discharged with reasonable safety, and then the ship owner's negligence would survive the yes. fact that it is open and obvious was, and would still be right. Was there a finding by the district court here that the plastic that was laid under the cargo was an open and obvious not in Not in that sense. What the trial judge here stated, that based on the argument that the presence of the plastic would have been open and obvious to the loading longshoremen, that therefore, since it was open and obvious, the, under Cindy, the ship owner wasn't liable. But that ignores the fact that it wasn't open and obvious to the discharging longshoremen. It was concealed by that, and it was a total non sequitur. I, I, I just thought that the district court had made a finding that it was no. open and obvious. No. The district court, is, in essence, made an argument that if we were arguing that it could have been observed by the loading stevedore and was open and obvious to them, then by definition it had to be open and obvious to the discharging longshoremen or to the discharging stevedore. The district, the, he did not find that. The district court granted summary judgment for the respondent, didn't it? There was no trial. That is correct. And there should have been no findings. I mean, it's a question there was of no sufficient... no finding in the sense there would be in a, in a bench trial. That is correct. Now, are you saying that the ship owner had a duty to inspect here? I, I, I'm saying that the, sh the ship owner has a duty to conduct reasonable inspections of the manner in which the cargo is stowed, yes. Well, what's your authority for that proposition? My, my authority for that proposition is the general negligence duty created by Cyndia, which uh, it, it would be no different than inspecting for other conditions which exist on a ship uh, when the ship comes in and is presented to the discharging longshoremen. But Mr. Sobel, as I understand Cyndia, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in Cyndia there was no negligence by a person engaging in providing stevedoring services to the vessel was there, wasn't it? Just well, the, the problem in that, vessel? in the Cyndia case, the Cyndia did not involve an unsafe condition existing at the start of cargo operation. But regardless, start, okay. finish, okay. there was no negligence by, a, uh, by uh, persons engaged in providing stevedoring services. That's correct. 
But that is what we have here. Now, there may have here, there may also be negligence, as you say, by the ship owner. But there is undoubtedly negligence by the person providing stevedoring yes, service. Yes, the, but the non-employer. statute reads, it seems to me, very clearly that if the injured person was employed by the vessel to provide stevedoring services, no such action shall be permitted if, if the injury was caused by the negligence of persons engaged in providing stevedoring services to the vessel. That clause is absolutely flatly applicable here. It was not applicable in Cindy. No, that uh, clause which also was interpreted in Edmonds, who has to refer to negligence by the employer stevedore. Well, that's not what it says. It's, not what it's, 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 it's flat. It, it's a flat statement. It doesn't limit it the way you say it. Well, the decision of this court in Kopke versus Cooper Stevedoring versus Kopke made the distinction between the employer stevedore and the non-employer stevedore for purposes of Section 5, which it held that just because you had an employer stevedore who was, not, because that employer, that stevedore, who's not the employer, was subject to suit by the, uh, an injured longshoreman and by uh, the ship owner uh, as well, who stood in the shoes, in the shoes of the uh, longshoreman in that situation. The consistent decisions has always been that the employer term refers to the employer of the injured longshoreman, even though you could have the act itself defines employer as any employer of longshoreman or any stevedore, the language uh, has always been that the exclusive remedy provisions of Section 5, which limit the remedy of the longshoreman against his employer, against the stevedore, only apply to the employer's stevedore. What is the citation to Kopke? It isn't in your brief, I don't believe. Uh, it's in the reply brief. In the reply brief? Uh, yes, and it's uh, cited at... Super Stevedoring versus Kopke, uh, 417 U.S. 106. Thank you. Uh, referred to at page 10 of the reply brief. Mr. Sobel, have you pursued uh, a claim against anyone else other than the ship owner? Well, we have a claim also, a pending claim against the... Uh, the, uh, the, the answer to that essentially is no. There's a question as to whether this ship owner was the charterer or the actual owner, and uh, that issue uh, is, is really held in the bands. I have a, a suit pending against them depending upon what happens here, but there is not a suit against any other party. So the... But coming back to Kopke, Kopke is a situation in which it essentially is a situation where an American longshoreman is suing an American stevedore who was not his employer. And the issue was raised as to the division of damages between that stevedore and the uh, ship owner in that case. And they, this court in Kopke specifically held there was a right to sue because that was that stevedore because he was not the employer. But the and word employer is not used in, in, in the provision that that seems to flatly cover this case. What what word employer uh, uh, to which Kopke could be relevant appears there? It says that if the injured person was employed by the vessel to provide stevedoring services, that was the case here. No such action shall be permitted if the injury was caused by the negligence of persons. It doesn't say employers. By the negligence of persons engaged in providing Stevens during services to the vessel. That's correct, but, Your Honor, that's not the only negligence that's involved here. Because if the ship owner is negligent... It doesn't say if it, if it isn't caused solely by the negligence. It says if it was caused by the negligence of persons engaged in providing Stevens during services. Not employers engaged in... Just persons providing Stevens. Well, well, but that would then say that... Anybody, including a non-employer stevedore, yes. is to be exempted. 
That's, that's what it says. No, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that it would be inconsistent to hold that. It would be inconsistent with Kopke and with... Uh, Why? Kopke deals with who's an employer. The word employer is not used here. Well, the term stevedore, the stevedore is the employer, and it's the exclusive remedy provision of the act that, we, you're, that you're dealing with here, Your Honor. I know it's, uh, you see, the, the, when they amended the act, they said that the, uh, they were saying that the ship owner would not be liable for negligence of the stevedore in the context that they're referring to the employer stevedore. Essentially, that's the same argument that this they court... They could have said that. They uh, could have said if the employer stevedore is guilty of negligence, the employer won't, but it didn't say if the employer stevedore. It said if the stevedore... If, if, the st- if the person providing stevedoring services was negligence, the vessel is not. Well, uh, then in, in that case, Your Honor, you, you, the, essentially the same type of argument was considered by this court and rejected by this court in the Edmonds case. Because there, the argument was that we should... Case? In Edmonds. Edmonds. Edmonds, where the argument was made by the stevedores, uh, by the shipowner, that they should apportion the damages between the employer and the stevedore. And that specific phraseology of the statute was considered. And uh, they said that it didn't preclude the action against the vessel under those circumstances, even though you had a situation where a stevedore was negligent. If you were to take that language totally... Justice Scalia, then you would be eliminating liability based on joint negligence. And suppose you have a situation where you have both negligence by the shipowner and by the stevedore under the interpretation of that language. Which is what we have here. Yeah, well, and therefore, but that was specifically rejected in the Edmonds case. That was the specific argument that was made and the specific, it was rejected that the shipowner cannot excuse its own negligence by saying that the stevedore was also negligent. Oh, well, well, but there, there, there the negligence was, was, was independent, separate negligence, not what you have here, the negligence of the shipowner in failing to catch the negligence of well, the stevedore. I mean, it, it, it's all in the same line of court. Your Honor, if I might posit a situation to the court, suppose we have a cargo, say, of electronic, electronic parts loaded on a ship in Japan or Korea, the ship loads that cargo, it's lo- the stevedore loads it there, it's loaded improperly, it comes to the United States, cargo, and the longshoreman goes into the co- hold, the cargo falls and crushes the longshoreman, kills him, and the box of cargo gets broken all over the place. The cargo owner could then sue the ship, but the injured longshoreman could not. I don't think Congress ever had any idea that that's what this statute would intend to result in. Maybe it should have written something else then. Well, it, I think it did when it said that they have negligence based on state law, and it was addressing the issue of the fact that we're not that the we wanted to make sure that the exclusive remedy provisions of the statute would not be interpreted in such a way as to make the employer longshoreman liable for any more than its compensation liability. Maybe you know that, Mr. Sobel, but I only know what I read in the statute, and it doesn't have any of that in it. Well, I, that, if you were to accept that same interpretation, Your Honor, your deci- the decision in this court in Edmonds would have been different. It's already, uh, well, I think, the, resolved But the that. decision in Kopke wouldn't have been. It seems to me that that, that involves quite, quite different. Well, that, Kopke involves the interpretation that, that when you, you, you viewing the term employer, which isn't what we're talking no. about here. Uh, that uh, you, that the, or, or in the term stevedore subject to the act, which is the uh, phrase used in the legislative history, that that is referring only to the employer. Now, that's one phase of copy. Edmonds handles the other aspect of that, that if he would interpret... Well, but surely, surely we're not going to say the legislative history prevails over the language of the statute. No, but the, uh, the language of the statute, uh, as pointed out in Edmonds, is somewhat inconsistent between the phrase that the shipowner shall be liable for its negligence and that the stevedore should be liable for its negligence. 
And then this court rejected that type of separation and said that the, the, this does not preclude liability based on joint negligence, and therefore under um, Edmonds... Uh, the yeah, but what, what we have here surely is not joint negligence in the sense they were talking about in Edmonds. No, we, we don't. We ha- well, we have a situation where, under principles of negligence law, a ship owner would have a duty of inspection. Suppose if we had a situation where the ship owner says, I saw that no plastic was placed under this stone. And a fact finder, remember this is a motion for summary judgment, could conclude that the ship owner did have knowledge of it. Then the ship owner would be liable based on that knowledge, even though the stevedore may have been the party that created the condition. So So you jump from that to there's a duty to inspect. Well, I, I think that there is a duty of reasonable inspection with respect to the manner in which cargo is stowed, which is the traditional duty, as, uh, not duty so much as what the practice is. They do inspect. It's never been denied that they inspect. And now what they're saying here is that even though we inspect and even though we see, we're not going to be held responsible. But if, if you're right and, and they did in fact inspect, then they would know. Right. And uh, you wouldn't have to rely on any duty to inspect. But that's I right. gather from what you say that that's contested. And so you have to rely on a duty to inspect. It's not contested in the facts of this case that they did, in fact, inspect. So you, you don't rely on any duty to inspect? Uh, uh, not under, in this case. I think that the, there should be a duty of reasonable inspection with anything that is turned over to the, long, to the discharging longshoreman. I'm However, getting confused now. I thought it was essential to your case that there be a duty to inspect the loading operation. You, you, you say that's not true. I, I say uh, that it is not true that you have a, an actual duty to inspect. I think that there is a, I think there should be a duty to inspect, but in the facts of this case and in the facts of most cases, where you offer testimony showing what the inspection is, and that they do do it, that the ship owner should be held knowledgeable for what well, that would but dispose. If they do it, you're saying they're doing it negligently, but it, yes. it doesn't matter if, it's, if they do it negligently unless they have a duty to do it. Right. Well, but I'm trying to, I really want to be sure I understand. Okay. Do you, can you prevail in this case and still ex- assume that the ship owner had no duty to inspect the loading operation? Yes. If in fact, and this evidence shows that they did in fact do it. And in Doesn't fact, the evidence have to show that they did, in fact, know the plastic was there as opposed to simply standing there while plastic... No, the, the evidence in the case and the specific testimony of the captain was if the plastic had been placed on the deck, the crew members would have seen it and would have reported it to us. So you're saying the evidence, in effect, was that they did see it they did because see they it. were standing there and they must have. Right, that they could see it. And if, if a finder of fact concluded that they did not, in fact, see it, then you'd have no case. Unless we, hold well, that there, uh, unless we hold that there is, in fact, a duty to inspect, as Justice Stevens suggested. I, if the fact finder found that they did not, that it, the fact finder would have to find that there is, that they, it was not a condition which they could see based on the inspections which they admittedly made. And in fact, after the Dirt case was decided, I, we offered evidence in Dirt that these inspections were created. The Third Circuit has even rejected that. So that basically, I say there's a duty to inspect, but that this duty is no more broad, no broader than what they are in fact doing. Yeah. I mean, it's not an, an obligation onus of them, but do they have a duty, for instance, to inspect how a winch is repaired? 
Do they have other types of duties to inspect other equipment? Does it matter no, whether... No, but if they, if they have a duty to inspect, presumably by definition, they have a duty to exercise a certain degree of care in the inspection so that things which ought to have been seen are things that are going right. to be charged to their knowledge. If they don't have a duty to inspect, then uh, the most you can rely upon would be proof that they actually did know that the plastic was here. Yes. Okay. That, that would be correct. But I think that while under the facts of this particular case, having established the inspection, and that it was a kind of condition that is capable, was capable of being observed on inspection, that should have been sufficient. No, but that's a, that's that, that's it different. seems to me that sim is simply another way of saying, well, they actually did have a duty because we're going to charge them with knowledge of what they would have learned making a reasonable inspection, whether we have direct proof that they knew it or not. And then they Isn't have, that yes, fair to say? Yes, and I think that they have a duty under Cyndia to provide a ship which is in such condition that it can be discharged with reasonable safety. And that would include the cargo stow. And the, how that cargo stow then becomes unsafe how does really that duty to what extent is there an obligation to supervise the stowing of the cargo to make sure that the ship is in safe condition to be unloaded when it gets to the unloading port? Uh, to the extent that the term supervise implies anything more than the observations that they would make of the normal stowage, I'm not claiming that there's a duty to supervise. There's a duty to make sure that the cargo is in safe condition to be unloaded. Right. So can you be as precise as you can in telling me how one discharges that duty? It would, in various cases, depend upon the type of cargo that is being handled. But for instance, in this case, observing that the plastic or whatever it is that they're supplying, when they admit that they have to make sure that something is under the uh, stove of cocoa beans, that they would be observing to see that as present. They've admitted that. In the case where you have uh, improperly stowed steel, such as woods or rigs or those cases, just looking at the cargo is all they have to do. In fact, you can bring in testimony that they look and observe the well, cargo. What is, it, what is the relevant thing that they've admitted here? Here they admitted, first of all, that they, ins that they inspected, that they would have seen the plastic if it was placed under it, that they required that something be placed under the um, cocoa beans, so that to that extent, by the way, they're supervising what the stevedore does. They're giving them the material. The only source of the, of the plastic or paper, whatever it is, has to come from the ship. Uh, the ship pulled into Guayaquil, Ecuador, and anything that they needed to load the cargo was supplied by the ship. The duty, there was someone that the ship required that something be placed under it, and the fact that the crew members were there and would have observed it. Basically, that case, and I always maintain, this case should have been even under dirt, presented a prima facie case of, of vessel liability because you had proof of, from which a fact finder could find actual knowledge of the condition. It was certainly not a matter of summary judgment. Uh, and summary judgment should not have been granted. But all you're saying is that they have the same duty of observation that they would uh, depending on the circumstances of each case. They, I'm not asking that they be required to make a separate duty based on safety for longshoremen because that really isn't necessary. But the same duty that they perform, or same task that they perform, making sure that the cargo is stowed safe for purposes of delivery, is going to reveal the same thing. The problem here is that you have a situation where even though under the customary practices, and in each case, if you took the testimony of the chief mate or the captain, as we did in this case, you'd find out what they did, that if they have a condition that they could have observed by the reason of what they did, that they should not be permitted to say, well, we weren't inspecting for safety. We were only inspecting for the safety of the cargo. And therefore, even though we have information 
that would normally trigger a duty to use reasonable care to correct this condition, we don't have to do it because we don't have any responsibility for Mr. Sobel, what was the theory of the district court when it granted summary judgment? Did the district court rely on the notion that the ship owner had no duty to inspect or no duty of care here, or did it rely on the theory that uh, you would have to show actual knowledge? The, ship, the, the, the district court here, relying on Dar, said that there was no duty to inspect and no duty to do anything with respect to cargo. Period. Nothing. And it didn't matter on the other things. because well, when, I, when I read the district court's opinion, I interpreted it as saying there, the condition of the plastic was open and obvious, so it wasn't going to make any difference because no. the unloading people would see it too. The, the, it has to go back, Your Honor, uh, to the Durr holding. The Durr holding was that a vessel would be liable for unsafe conditions in a cargo store only if you could show actual knowledge on the part of the ship owner of the condition and that the condition was not open and obvious. Based on Durr in preparing this case and arguing it in the district court, I offered the testimony as to the, the, uh, the captain as to the condition to prove actual knowledge of the condition and the testimony of the plaintiff that the condition was not open and obvious to him and was not one that he could expect. The district court stated in the opinion, in a part of the opinion, which I have to say uh, very respectfully to the district judge, makes no sense because he said, was, well, if this condition was capable of being discovered by the lady longshoremen in Guayaquil, Ecuador, then by definition, it was an open and obvious condition, and under Cyndia, the ship owner isn't liable for open and obvious conditions, which, by the way, is contrary to the holding in Cyndia. And from that, he says, therefore, it had to be open and obvious to the plaintiff in this case, when there clearly was evidence it was not open and obvious to him. I mean, the, the decision, the, the statement, that if it's open and obvious to the uh, loading longshoremen at the time it was created, it, it by definition has to be open and obvious to the discharging of the longshoremen, makes no sense. It's a non sequitur. The condition was concealed. And that therein is the problem uh, with respect to the situation as far as a, from the standpoint of the discharging longshoremen, because the condition, if they observe it during the creation of cargo operations, subsequently becomes concealed. And then both he... Stacking is, cargo on top of it. By stacking on top of it, yes. Uh, if the court please, if there are no further questions, I'd like to reserve the rest Very of the time well, Mr. Sobel. Mr. Buckles? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Despite the petitioner's denial to the contrary, as Justice Scalia has pointed out, the duty that he seeks to impose in this particular case, and we really do have a conflict with the Third, the Ninth, and the Fifth Circuits that, that underlies, uh, I think, the whole case. Just as a preliminary before you get into that conflict, who, who was Howlett employed by? Who was his employer? Northern Shipping Company. Uh, is that the Stevedoring Company. Um, it, that's different than the vessel, I take it? Yes, it's called Northern Shipping Company, but it, it is a Stevedoring Company. It has nothing to do with the vessel. Well, or how, do, how does the statutory exclusion on which you rely then apply? Because the statute says if such person was employed by the vessel, to provide stevedoring services. And here the vessel was not the employer. We're, we're, they're seeking to impose liability on us, not for the negligence of Mr. Hallett or his employer. They're looking 
to impose liability on us for the negligence of the loading stevedore in Guayaquil, Ecuador. But you rely, I take it, on the second sentence of the uh, provision in Section 5B? That and the numerous references in the legislative history that says a ship owner should not be liable for the negligence of another party, including the stevedore. You have loading... Well, but the statute says if such person was employed by the vessel to provide stevedoring services, and he wasn't employed by the vessel. So he is not within the, the exclusion. Uh, or am I just missing... I think, I think you're missing the act. He, he is employed by the vessel to... You're looking at it, it's northern shipping that's hired by the vessel. I think that's just loose well, language. You well, said, you said that he was employed by someone other than the vessel, so I don't see how the statute works. I, I think the reference is there. Mr. Hallett is employed by Northern Shipping Company, which is hired by the vessel. I think the language used in that act, as well as other acts, is that those longshoremen employed by Northern are, quote, hired by the vessel. So that we don't have to follow the precise language of the act. I, I'm, not sh I'm not sure that I understand... Well, I, I take it that your, your case requires a very close interpretation of, of the Act in order to <coughs> allow the, the vessel the exemption which it gives, but I, I just don't understand how the Act works. I don't want to spend too much time on this because the conflict between the Third and the Ninth Circuit is a very real one. Right. But I'm, I'm just my, somewhat um, my argument, you're uncertain as to how, as, as how the language of the Act applies here. Okay. My, my argument uh, is not based on that is not limited to that particular section and that particular language in that act because that particular language leaves out a number of references that are in the legislative history as to what was intended. And I, I don't think the act includes them all, but it's well, implicit. Maybe, maybe your argument shouldn't be uh, uh, um, relying on that sentence at all uh, because what, what Justice Kennedy is just suggesting is also, was we also explicitly said that in Edmonds, didn't we? Edmonds says that the second sentence of the paragraph, the, the sentence at issue here, is expressly addressed to the different and less familiar arrangement where the injured longshoreman loading or unloading the ship is employed by the vessel itself, not by a separate stevedoring company. In short, to the situation where the ship is its own stevedore, which is not the situation here, is it? Absolutely. So according to Edmonds, that sentence doesn't apply at all. Zero. Although it was read during your direct questioning, it, it could be read. Well, I'm trying to find the weak parts in his case and right. the weak parts in your case, and it seems to me that the weak part in your case is Edmonds. I, I, I will address that uh, in a minute. I think Edmonds is actually a strong point for our case because it shows what will happen well, in the What do event. you do about that sentence in Edmonds, which, which simply says that this sentence has no provision here, it has no application here? The Edmund situation does not impose a duty on the ship owner. The, the legislative history behind the entire 1972 amendments was to relieve the ship owner of any liability for the negligence of another party. And despite there, there's been some change as to what that duty might be from the petitioner day, that's the duty they seek to impose, that we, they seek to hold the ship owner liable for the negligence of the stevedore. In this particular case, the negligence of the loading stevedore. Now, in the Edmund situation... Mr. Buckholz, I can see what you're saying if we were dealing with the typical uh, triad. That is, this certainly meant to exonerate the ship owner from liability to the employer of the longshore worker. So the things that stem from Ryan and 
the, the usual dance of doing the ship owner, ship owner turning and making a claim over against the stevedoring company. That's not what's involved here. Why does it follow that because Congress certainly meant to do that and did that, that there would be no liability where the injured worker is not employed by the where we have an unloading longshore worker and he is injured because of the uh, of negligence attributed to the loading stevedore? There's two answers to that, Your Honor. One is there's no basis to, uh, as a matter of law, as a matter of fact, essentially you get into a distinction between a, perhaps a foreign loading stevedore and a domestic stevedore who's covered under this act. And there's no distinction to create separate duties on what the ship owner's duty is vis-a-vis the cargo as to whether it's a foreign stevedore that's loading it or a domestic stevedore. The other situation, and it's where Cindy comes into play, is... But even a domestic loading stevedore is not going to be the one that compensates the longshore worker. As I understand it, the longshore worker is going to be... The worker's compensation scheme would enable him to make a claim against his employer's carrier. Right, but if you, you get a domestic stevedore who loads this cargo, and then the longshoreman's injured down in Houston, under, under plainest theory of liability, we can be liable down in Houston for the accidents of the longshoreman in Houston because of what the stevedore up in Philadelphia did. Under the Cyndia holding, we had no duty to supervise the loading operation of the Philadelphia stevedore up in Philadelphia. But suddenly, now that we're down in Houston, we're subject to liability. So if With respect to anybody, let's take, make it a, a, a seaman instead of a longshore worker. This, let's suppose that this plastic had been slipped on by uh, a crew member. There would be no liability on the vessel's part? No, there, there, there would probably be liability on the vessel's part. The, the vessel owes a duty of the doctrine of seaworthiness to seamen and crew members. That was the doctrine that was taken away by the 1972 amendments. The Supreme Court, in a case called Siraki, extended that. Are you saying it would only be unseaworthiness, not negligence, to allow the plastic to be used in places where he, uh, crew members might be walking, I, I would, jumping I, on? There could be a case in which, if, if the ship owner knew about it or had constructive knowledge of it, you might be able to make out a case of negligence. In most, most cases, a seaman would just use the doctrine of seaworthiness and, because it's an unseaworthy condition. So your, your basic claim here is that there's, there's simply no negligence on your, your part. Is that it? Because there was no duty to, to uh, supervise the, uh, the unloading. And, uh, but you, you, you would acknowledge liability if you knew of the defective condition and failed to warn, or you, you'd at least acknowledge possible liability. You, you, because of the Cyndia case and the lack of any obligation to supervise the work of the loading or discharging stevedore, you, you, you you're not charged with knowledge of the right. defect. Right. However, if you happen to have knowledge of the defect, you would acknowledge that, that you might be negligent in failing to pass that on. My proposed duty would, would be if you had not actual knowledge of a hidden defect that yes. you knew or had reason to know would present an unreasonable risk of harm to right. experienced longshoremen. In that limited situation, you would have a duty vis-a-vis the, the longshoremen in the next place. Well, isn't that the allegation here exactly? No, the, the allegation here is that there was no actual knowledge. There was 
no, no duty to... Well, I, I thought I heard the argument, and I thought I read in the brief, that the ship owner's employees actually provided the plastic and required that something be put under the cocoa beans, gave them the plastic to put under it, knew that the plastic was under it, and subsequently, when it was loaded, it was not obvious. I mean, I, I understood that to be their theory. That may be their theory, Justice O'Connor. If that was the record, there would be liability in this case. But that was not the record. The record was that the ship supplied all material, the wood, the paper, plastic that's used for a, a number of purposes. The ship would, the, the testimony was the ship would not have permitted the plastic to be laid down because of possible condensation damage to the beans. And the captain said, if I saw it, I would have had it removed. The crew members were under instruction to notify me if it was down there. So there, that was the, the shortcoming of the case. That, there was no actual knowledge. If there had been actual knowledge, the plastic wouldn't have been down there. Well, it, but this, this is a case that was decided on summary judgment, was it not? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, uh, before any trial? Before any trial. Uh, well, and so the district court had to say that there were this, this point was absolutely undisputed, that uh, no reasonable person could conclude there was actual knowledge on the part of the vessel. Yes. What you did. And, and, and you support that here. You, you say that that's, that's not arguable even. Right. There, there was no evidence to, to suggest to the contrary, and all the evidence, uh, the evidence all suggested to the contrary that the ship would not have permitted okay. it to have sailed with plastic under it if it had known about it. Uh, plastic is used for a number of purposes on the ship, and it, it was potentially damaging to the ship's cargo to have allowed it there. The other shortcoming uh, in, in the standard that, we, that I was discussing with Justice Scalia is that the ship had absolutely, there was no evidence that the ship knew or should have known a piece of plastic on that floor of the hatch was going to present an unreasonable risk of harm to an experienced longshoreman. Uh, the potential danger, the only potential danger that was established in the record was that it might cause some condensation damage to the beans. But would you go over why it was a summary judgment situation? I mean, if the allegation was that, as Justice O'Connor said, the ship, uh, in fact, had supplied the plastic, and there were people on the deck who were watching something going on. Why isn't this a question of uh, testimony and credibility to find out exactly what was applied, exactly what was observed? Well, that was, Your Honor, and the only evidence that was, was available was, was that no one saw it. The, the petitioner in this case presented no evidence that anyone actually saw it, took no depositions to establish that, and the record was closed at the time the summary judgment was granted. There was nothing more than the fact that there were some crew members up on deck who had a general duty of watching for smugglers, for stowaways, whatever. And the Third Circuit in Derek quite correctly said you cannot catapult that type of presence to uh, putting a duty on them to have... Uh, May I ask this question, Mr. Booker? Am I correct in understanding that he has really two alternate theories of recovery? One is that, as a matter of fact, and that's what you've been debating now, there was actual knowledge and therefore you were negligent. But that's not really a, much of a legal issue. That's purely factual. And the other alternative theory, as I understand it, is regardless of what they did or did not know or anything else, they had a duty to uh, supervise or inspect the uh, loading operation. And they, you, would, you could admit that you failed to see things there, but if you didn't have any duty, you wouldn't have been doing it negligently. So the legal issue, is, am I not correct on this, is just whether you had that duty at that time. Uh, the, again, the legal duty, as Justice Kennedy re referred to, throughout the difference between the Ninth and the Fifth and the Circuit, is whether there's a legal duty to do 
inspections or supervisions of the cargo stowed during the loading. If the there is such a duty, the fact you don't know about it, you, you would lose under this. That, that, that's correct. So, so there's no factual issue on that, on that legal question. The, the question and what, and what the and further what it boils down to also is that your real defense is you're not negligent, period. You don't rely on the fact that the loading stevedore was negligent. I mean, you, so somebody, had, if, if there was negligence. What I'm saying is that uh, going back to that argument, the, the debate between or the, your opponent's uh, colloquy with Justice Scalia earlier, the fact that the, uh, the loading stevedore was negligent would not exonerate you if you were also negligent. That's correct. Yeah. But you say you were not negligent because, A, you had no duty to inspect or supervise the loading operation, and, B, as a matter of fact, your people didn't realize that this plastic stuff was there. Exactly. Okay. And why do you assert you had no duty to supervise or the, the unloading? The, 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 the loading and unloading, I guess. That, that is a duty that has, that, uh, the genesis is the Ninth Circuit's case in Turner. Turner felt, uh, was faced with a situation in which an injured longshoreman uh, was hurt, uh, the Ninth Circuit took a look at the situation, realized that uh, the negligence had been that of a foreign stevedore, and decided that the longshoremen didn't have anyone to sue. So they turned around and said, well, we're going to create a, a, a liability on the ship owner to have had supervised the loading of the foreign stevedore uh, to prevent uh, any defects in the stow. And again, that doesn't reconcile with your holding in Cyndia that you don't have a duty to supervise the minute details of the loading operation. And the fact of the matter is, if you put any duty other than the duty I discussed with Justice Scalia, where you have actual knowledge of a dangerous hazard which you knew or should have known would create an unreasonable risk of harm, if you put any duty of reasonable inspection, it will essentially open up every one of these cases to a third-party lawsuit. Uh, any uh, stevedoring expert can come in after an accident and say, a reasonable inspection would have disclosed this. So essentially, you're, you're getting you're, the, the two purposes of Congress in passing the 72 Amendment was to eliminate the personal injury litigation that was flooding the federal courts arising out of these kind of accidents, put them into a very improved uh, compensation system, uh, and also to encourage the safety of the longshoremen. Just like to touch on the Edmonds case for a second, because that, that could could I ask you about this? You you refer to uh, the notion that you accept that the ship owner has a duty to warn of hazards that the ship owner knows of or should have known of. No, no. That was what I thought you said. If, if I said that, I misstated. It's with regard to the cargo. And it, and if I could just back... That, that's a kind of a general right. principle, anyway, of property ownership. That's the uh, duty the vessel owes... ...of known hazards or things you should have known of. That's the vessel that, that this court imposed in Cyndia, and it, the of knowledge or should have known relates to the vessel and its, its equipment, its appurtenances, its gears, things that are permanently attacked, attached to it and affixed to it. The ship does have that duty. With regard to cargo, which is a completely transitory condition, employees of an independent contractor put it on, employees of another independent contractor take it off, the ship... You're saying it. they shouldn't have known, that's all. We, yeah. It requires you're actual knowledge. Justice O'Connor, I think you're just saying they, sh they did not know and should not have known with respect to the cargo because they had no obligation to supervise right. loading of the cargo. And, and I'm sorry, Justice O'Connor, they would, it would, under my interpretation, it would require actual knowledge. Just because, as Justice well, Scalia said, you don't have a duty to inspect. Well, is that really the, isn't there an intermediate position? 
that it, if they should have known for reasons other than supervising the, the loading copper. In other words, supposing they turned the loading operation entirely over, the ship entirely over to the loading stevedore at the time of the loading. They had no personnel on the boat. They didn't know a darn thing about what went on during the loading. But while they're at sea, they should have noticed something that was rather apparent from the way the cargo was shifting or something. They would then have had a duty to warn, wouldn't they? They find out about the danger after the loading operation is completed and for nothing to do with it. They don't have any duty to supervise. But they do, they, they are, there is a condition they reasonably should have realized was dangerous. Wouldn't it be negligent and not warning then? Again, if you have the elements of actual knowledge of a... No, it's not. You, you, it's, it, it's, it should have, they should have known about okay, it. That, that, I mean, that, it's quite apparent, but you can't prove anybody actually saw it. But you find that 19 people walk by this place every day, and you can't believe they didn't look at it, but you can't prove they actually saw it. My answer to that, Your Honor, is no. There's no duty because the stevedore that's going to discharge that cargo upon arrival is in as good, if not better, a position to take a look and see what the condition of that cargo is as some non-expert ship owner. So the condition that the ship owner, that's observable to the ship owner at that point in time is equally observable to the discharging stevedore. And creating any, creating any type of general duty is going to throw, you throw the courts back into the pre-1972 amendments where every... It wouldn't in this case because there's no way in the world, if you ignore the, the loading itself, there's no way in the world that the ship owner or the vessel owner could have known that the plastic was, was at the bottom of the load. I mean, you'd win this case on my hypothesis. That's right. the That's On your hypothesis, yeah. but, but ships in transit, throughout transit, are going to encounter uh, cargo that shifts. And in every one of those cases, and that, that's where you, the Fifth Circuit runs into problems, the Ninth Circuit in rigs, they have shifting. It's open and obvious when they come into port, the longshoremen are all aware of it, and that's why they're hired to take it out, and yet the Ninth Circuit and the Fifth Circuits are imposing liability on the, on the ship owners. Well, it seems to me there could be cases in which the ship owner would be aware of, of dangerous conditions that, wouldn't, that they would notice while the, the ship was at sea that the unloading stevedore might not know about unless he were warned. You don't think that ever could happen? I, I, th I think you're getting very, very close to that, the actual knowledge situation in, in that scenario. Oh, well, that's what I'm... <laughs> but why shouldn't, they, why shouldn't it be negligence if, if it was sufficiently obvious that any competent uh, vessel captain would have spotted it? I know. Because, because the reason for that is any so-called expert is going to be able to come in after the accident and say a reasonably competent ship owner or, or master should have, and that's enough to get to the jury. And we get back to the Edmonds case in which a 1% negligent ship owner, if you impose any duty on the ship owner for the condition of the cargo loaded by someone else, the 1% negligent ship owner gets stuck for 99% it's stuck for the entire verdict, where the discharging stevedore who sees the same condition gets off scot-free, not only gets off scot-free, but gets back his entire compensation lien that he's paid to the injured longshoreman. And that was a concern of Chief well, Justice Rehnquist. That's still true in an actual knowledge case. Excuse me? That's still true in an actual knowledge case. In, in an actual knowledge case, is a basis to impose liability on the ship owner for that situation, though. Is it possible that a condition could be open and obvious at the time that the owner uh, starts the voyage after the cargo has been loaded. But during the course of the, the trip, the cargo shifts around so that on arrival, it is not open and obvious. And yet the owner uh, would have been aware because it was open and obvious. 
in that situation, again, you, you have actual knowledge of a... Of, of a, a condi- if you have actual knowledge... Which no, I didn't say that there was, but just that it was an open and obvious condition initially, and it changed later. Well, if it's an, if it's an open and obvious condition, if the ship owner does not have actual knowledge of it, no. There's, there's no such duty, because, again, then you'll get into a factual question in every one of these cases as to what the ship owner should have seen at the time of loading. Well, Mr. Bookholz, I'm, you know, I'm really not sure that your, your, your alarmist uh, prediction of what's going to happen uh, is, is true to life. Uh, if, if, if indeed the ship owner should have known, there will always be available the argument that he did know. And so you'll have the same parade of, 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 of these uh, suspect uh, expert witnesses that you're worried about. The only question we're arguing about is whether these suspect expert witnesses are going to say, yes, he must have known, and therefore he knew, or whether they're just going to say, well, he should have known. Um, is, that, is that that big a deal? I mean, uh, Yes, Your Honor. I, I think it, you don't get to court, as you see in this case, unless you prove actual knowledge, unless you can prove there were long crew uh, members... As we've established in, in Justice uh, Stevens' question, you're going to win this case uh, on, under either approach, right. whether you're liable for should have known or not. But uh, you, you're worried about other cases, and you say, well, gee, if, if you make should have known enough for liability, we're going to have this parade of suspect uh, expert witnesses. But you're going to have them with, 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 with new as well. I, I, I don't think there's, there's been a very limited number of cases in the Third Circuit where this duty has been imposed for, for exactly that reason, that the standard under the Dirk case, is admittedly extremely limited. If you should have known, it's probable that you knew. And so it becomes a jury question, doesn't it? As to what, on which duty is sh- should have known is Your Honor referring to? Oh, the, the, the typical case is, is the one that Justice Stevens ga- gave of the, of the cargo shifting. So, you know, any idiot would have, uh, uh, should have known that the cargo had shifted, and therefore he should have warned. So you say, oh, no, well, should have known is no good. You have to sh- show that he knew. So these experts would say, okay, I'll show that he knew. He, he must have known because any idiot would have, would, not a would have noticed expert it. expert testimony, whether someone knew or not. No, but, but, but the point he's making is if you have this theory, you, 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 would, you would open the case so that experts could be, uh, uh, could be brought in. I don't see the difference between should have known and, and, and actually knew. I don't see that making a difference in the volume of litigation. H- having tried cases since 1970 and seen what changes the Durf situation made in the Third Circuit, I, I have to respectfully differ with you. It made a considerable difference. As Chief Justice Wenquist pointed out, actual knowledge is far different than should have or would have or could have that an expert uh, may be able to testify. The courts just don't permit. They, they take a very close scrutiny as to what actual testimony, uh, what actual knowledge is in the record, if there is any. And if it's not there, there's, there's no cause of action. Is there, are there occasions when onloading and offloading proceeds at the same time? You're taking something out of the hold and, and, and putting it in at the same, and putting another cargo in at the same time? Yes, not necessarily the same. The, the same ship at the same port, you may be loading one hatch, taking out at another hatch. Usually it's not in the, it's the same hatch, it's not going on at the same time. They'll usually wait to finish taking out the cargo and then they'll put new cargo in. Usually the same stevedore? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Unless there's any additional questions, I have. Nothing further, but we request this court to affirm the decision of the Third Circuit and the lower court uh, in the Halleck case. Thank you, Mr. Buckle. Mr. Sobel, you have three minutes remaining. The court, please. First of all, the, one of the problems in the record in this case is that 
the district court judge did resolve issues of when there really are factual issues because there is a factual issue here as to knowledge of the uh, uh, ship owner and the captain of this condition because we presented the testimony that the ship supplied it, that they required something to be placed under it. That alone is sufficient to at least raise a factual issue to be determined uh, by a fact finder as to whether they would have actual knowledge of its presence. It's an inference to be drawn from those facts alone. Oh, I thought there was also testimony that plastic is used for a lot of things. Well, first of all, there was no testimony of that. There was none. And that's a very important point. That was an argument by Mr. Buckholz that, well, it could have been used for other things. The only other evidence in this record as to an other use of the plastic was to the connection with the loading of corrosive drums, drums containing corrosive material, and there was testimony that the only cargo, other cargo loaded in this port was bananas, which was not corrosive. Now, this argument that it could have been used for some other purposes, let them bring in the witnesses, let them be cross-examined as to whether any of these purposes are reasonable purposes. There was never an iota of evidence in this record other than counsel's argument as to that being a permissible purpose. Now, under Mr. Buckholz's argument, and the real problem that you have, and I think uh, Rana has uh, touched on it, is Mr. Buckholz says, if I, even though you question my captain or my chief mate, and he says we did this, we observed the cargo, if he says I didn't see it, then I can't establish a case because unless he admits to seeing it, then there's no evidence of it. No, no one could seriously contend that. A jury would be entitled to say, even though he doesn't admit to seeing it, we infer from other evidence that he did. If there's other evidence to support it. And it's, if there uh, isn't, then the jury shouldn't admit That's right. But in, in this case, there was evidence from which they could find that. But under Mr. Buckholz's test, is if he brings in somebody to say, on a motion for summary judgment, that he produces a deposition of a captain who says, I didn't see it, the plaintiff is out of court. And I don't think that's anywhere in the law of negligence that you can't have a reason to know. Now, I would want to address one issue because when uh, Justice Scalia questioned me on the language of the statute, it, it sort of caught me short, and I want to go back to that. The statutory language, which you quoted, reads, if such person, now person there refers to injured longshoremen because it's in the second sentence of the act. And by the way, this appears on page three of the, my initial brief, the blue brief. It says, if such person was employed by the vessel. The injured person is not employed by the vessel. The injured person is employed by the stevedore. That is why okay. I can't to provide stevedoring right. services. But this language was directed to was the situation where the ship owner also acts as the stevedore. And it has no relevance in this situation. Thank you, Mr. Sobel. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock.